This week, we continue with our sermon series from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. As we began the series, Pastor Jeff explained that Paul was addressing the Gentiles as opposed to the Jews. As we will see through the series, Paul's letters to the Ephesians is actually divided into two primary themes, bridged by what we'll be covering today of, of Paul's prayer. In the beginning chapters, as we've heard previously from Pastor Jeff, Paul shared doctrinal and theological concepts. In the latter chapters that will be covered in future messages, Paul addresses the application of his letter, or in other words, how the Ephesians should respond to Paul's doctrinal and theological concepts. As we look specifically at Paul's prayer in the context of a bridge between these two themes, it's important for us to consider the doctrine and the theology that Paul has already established in his letter to the Ephesians. For example, Paul explained to the Gentiles in Ephesus that Christ created life for Jew and Gentile alike as one new humanity. In fact, I believe that Paul is reminding all of us that this one new humanity, that we are one body in Christ. Let's consider for a moment our own faith before we became believers in Christ Jesus. As I now reference this passage from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Do you remember a time when you were separate from Christ? Perhaps there was a time when you were not a believer, recalling a feeling of exclusion or an awareness of being incomplete or even a sense of hopelessness. The application here is not just for the Ephesians, but for all of us. Now, as Christians, we're all part of God's family. And as such, confidently, we even experience that sense of wholeness and peace in Christ. And while there will always be those denominational differences, we can all celebrate God's love for us through God's grace and sacrificial gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. In our message today, we are indeed one body in Christ. Paul offers a prayer that is ultimately built upon love, God's love for us, as well as our love for God in Jesus Christ. As Paul offered his prayer to the Ephesians, he begins by saying, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Now, there are different interpretations of Paul's use of for this reason, one being that it referenced God's saving grace in Christ in the creation of one new humanity, as illustrated by what we've just heard. 
And the relevance is not just for the Gentiles of Ephesus, but in fact for all of us. So let's dig a little deeper into Paul's prayer to explore the implications and the application for us today. Paul reminds us that God is our Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. Now, if we take this to heart, it means that we are one big family. We're all God's children. The word all means each and every one of us, no matter our skin color, our faith, our cultural background, our gender, our sexual orientation, our social or economic status our educational level, and the list goes on. We are, in essence, all siblings created as one humanity, and I might add, created to love one another. God is our Father, a benevolent, caring, loving Father who extended grace and salvation to us through Jesus Christ. God is our Father who loves us all unconditionally, regardless of whether we love him back. Just as Paul knelt, let us kneel before our Father in reverence and thanksgiving. Paul continues in prayer that we might be strengthened through the power of God's Spirit. One way to visualize this theme might be to consider that we are to be strengthened from the inside out, that God's Spirit affords us power in our inner being. That is not to say that we are to become powerful and mighty or rich and successful, nor is it meant to imply that we are to become stronger in ourselves or by ourselves. These are all examples of strengthening from the outside in. Rather, we are to be strengthened by the power of God's Spirit that we may open ourselves up or even allow ourselves to be vulnerable to the transformation by God's Spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Perhaps another way to visualize this petition is that God would create in us the foundation and the invitation for Christ to effect a change in our hearts. Ultimately, it is our decision to open ourselves up to Christ. God does not force this. God does not force his love on us even though God loves us unconditionally. This alone can be a powerful message to process. So let me reiterate. No matter what you do, no matter who you are, God loves you. God wants a relationship with you, but ultimately it's your decision. Paul prays for just that change in our hearts that we would want a relationship with God and we would want Jesus to dwell within our hearts. But we all know change isn't easy and in many cases opening one's self up to God's Spirit is a lengthy process. As Christians or followers of Jesus, we have undeniably and openly accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But have we grasped just how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ? Just was it, what does it mean that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith? Here's a unique example that I came across. 
let's pretend for a moment that Jesus is knocking at the door and you let him into your home. Now, if you assume that he's just visiting, it's simply a matter of being hospitable, right? You just have to be a good host and for a while, and and then when Jesus leaves, then you can go back to your old, comfortable ways. But what if you decide to let Jesus stay? He is no longer simply a guest, but rather he becomes an integral member of the household. Now your routines must change. You must learn to live within the boundaries of this new relationship. Your entire way of life is suddenly affected. Such is the case when Christ moves into your heart. It's radically transformative. And quite frankly, that can be a bit overwhelming at times. I believe that Paul understood just how this felt He experienced a radical transformation on that road to Damascus, as we've read in the Acts of the Apostles. Paul gets it, right? And so he passionately offered his prayer to the Ephesians and to us that being rooted and established in love, that may have the power for us to grasp the width and the length and the height and the depth of Christ's love for us. It goes to reason, then, if we do not believe or behave knowing that we are rooted and established in love, we will never be able to appreciate and embody Christ's love. As such, we must practice loving kindness in order to personify it. Now, this is nothing new. Moses set that standard with our brothers, brother and sister Israelites in the Shema that we read earlier. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus affirmed this greatest commandment in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, one of my favorite Bible stories. Let me share it with you. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, it seems to me, if we can't get this greatest commandment thing right, if our faith is not built upon the foundation of love, then what's the point? So, what does love look like? We see many examples of Jesus' love for others in the Bible. Now, I borrowed this next little clip from Pastor John Warden because he just simply stated it so well. Pastor Warden goes on to say, Jesus was incredibly passionate, always responding to the needs of the suffering. The sick were made well and the blind given sight. He liberated those who were bound by social injustice and prejudice. Those in bondage to demonic powers were set free. Jesus loved deeply. Jesus' respect for all of life was universal. 
he repeatedly respected and valued women, an attitude largely unexpected and unknown in his culture and time, and I might add sometimes even now. He respected and valued children. He respected the downtrodden and the poor. Jesus was an extraordinary listener, whether it be his enemies or his disciples. Jesus valued people by listening to them and responding thoughtfully and patiently. Jesus spent a great deal of time encouraging people to love. The Beatitudes serve as a call for us to be responsive to God and to love others as Jesus advocates throughout his life. So, now that we've covered Jesus' love, let me put to you this hypothetical question. How might Jesus react to all that's going on in our world today? Where is the love? Where is the service to others? Where is the sacrifice? It seems just like I hear so much self-serving pushback these days. Have we lost the concept that it's not about us? From the Gospel of John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one other than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. But it's just not that easy for us, is it? Paul offers prayer that we may know that this love surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now, it may be difficult for us to know what that looks like, but we can all certainly be filled to the brim with love. Pastor Jeff shared a wonderful analogy with me some time ago. And Erin kind of reiterated a little bit in her message. Imagine a cup of coffee or whatever beverage might be of your choice filled so it's contained in the cup by the surface pressure at the edge. So it's got a convex appearance to it where it looks like there's more liquid in the container that it can actually hold. What if we were that cup of coffee, filled to the measure of fullness of God, where we could grasp the width and length and height and depth of Christ's love? Remember, though, it's not about what we do, but rather what God has done and continues to do for us. We read this passage from Ephesians chapter 2. We read it last week, and it bears repeating in this very application. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not by or not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork crafted in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thanks be to God. As Paul concludes his prayer, he also gives, gives thanks, reminding us that Christ dwells within us. God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Throughout Paul's prayer, we are presented with concepts that can be difficult to fathom, like how to grasp the extent and magnitude of Christ's love, or how to 
imagine the sheer immeasurability of God's work. It's almost like that first time that you found yourself outside at night, far from the city lights, staring up at the stars, overwhelmed by the enormity of that visual experience. Such an occasion is spectacular, breathtaking, awe-inspiring, magnificent, and often humbling. We realize that we are such a small piece of God's creation, yet we are so loved by God. Such revelation affords us the opportunity, like Paul, to kneel before the Father and give thanks. Paul reminds us that the power at work in us, that the love of Christ that dwells within our hearts is God's work. And to God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, as Paul says. Note that Paul includes the church in this doxology. This is not to mean that the church is more important than Jesus, but rather that God's glory is reflected in His Son within the church. In other words, as one body in Christ, as one community of faith, we are to come together to actively participate in worshiping the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a communal location, in the church. For it's in the church where we are blessed in Christ to the glory of God through all generations. A few years ago, when I was serving as the youth director for the first time, I, I asked our youth to focus on one word and to discern how it impacted them. And the word that I chose was community. Because as a youth group, coming together as a community, as one body in Christ, was so important to our Christian formation. Perhaps now it's time for us to revisit that concept. Yes, we're still in the midst of a pandemic, but it's vital that we engage the folks who we haven't seen in months and encourage them to return to the community where we can participate together in our Christian formation here in the church. Now, sometimes when in community, we find ourselves at odds with our neighbors. I've thought long and hard about what that might mean. We have so many things that are pulling us apart right now. Most recently, we have the issue in Texas dealing with a court decision on abortion. We have issues of whether to wear a mask, whether to get a vaccine, who to vote for. I encourage you, regardless of what side of that fence that you might find yourself, to remember that there are other people who may believe differently sitting right next to you in these pews. And that simply considering different perspectives, walking a short distance in their shoes may help you and may help them to understand our different perspectives. Remember, we are all part of God's one family, and therefore, we have been rooted and established in love. We are called to love God 
and to love our neighbors. We glorify God through love. We all have work to do in order to share our love of Christ with others, that those others may also experience the fullness of God. Reflecting on Paul's prayer, it begins with reverence, kneeling before the Father and ends with gratitude, glorifying God. Paul's prayer resonates hope for transformation that Jesus would take up residence not only in the people of Ephesus, but in all of us and strengthen us by God's Spirit that we may come to know the entirety of God's love and be filled with the fullness of God. All to His glory on this day and forevermore. Amen.